Brendan heard the word of God tell him to give up all, eschew familiar places, and pursue the Lord beyond his native land. He longed to go on peregrinatio and serve the word of God in some new secret country, though he did not know just what that might entail. He waited on the Lord and longed to go wherever God's good purpose might prevail to have him go, whether by foot or sail. Welcome to the Inverse Theology Project. I'm your host, T.M. Moore. This is Volume 17, Number 3, Historical Theology. The longest account in Charles Plummer's Lives of Irish Saints is of Brendan of Clonfort, who came to be called the Navigator because of his journeys on the sea in search of the promised land of the saints. A good bit of reliable history is woven through this story, which amounts above all else to a parable about the life of faith lived in discipline and community toward a vision of the city to come. Here is part one of Brendan, A Life of Journey. Next in Charles Plummer's Lives of Irish Saints, the largest entry is for Brendan, who was called The Navigator. His life paints a vivid picture of what men can do when captivated by a vision of God's purpose and determined to pursue his calling, when their highest end is love for God and for his glory. Brendan's tale was held in high regard and prized above all other such accounts. It does not fail to find admirers in our own day. Here, Tim Severin comes to mind, who dared to sail the course of Brendan's journey with the gear, a leather boat, that Brendan used. He and his little team were careful to hold dear to Brendan's own course and to understand and clarify some of the wonders, rites, and places Brendan visited. They planned to prove his story and to give insights to Irish Christian life, and many say they did. The Brendan story both delights and teaches. It gives glimpses of the way those ancient Christians lived and worked. It shows us aspects of devotion in that day, which could revive the spirits of all those today who follow their example. We will need to be selective and dispose of certain aspects of the history of Brendan, just as we have done before, but here, because of volume, we must be more narrow-focused still, and even more succinct. We will, I hope, identify a true historical thread and find a core of facts, and in that thread and core, we'll try to learn what makes a man the habits of his life and his important work set by, to seek a vision given from above of unseen promises and hoped-for things, and of a place of righteousness and love where every creature endless praises sings to him who to them joy and blessings brings." Upon his birth, St. Brendan seemed to be a special child. His parents knew the Lord, and there were signs and testimonies he would be a mighty servant of the word. At two years old, they fostered Brendan to the abbess Eta, a servant of the Lord. Her charge was but to love him and to do whatever would prepare him to believe in Jesus and desire the Savior who had purchased him so that he would receive instruction for his service. Brendan knew God's love with Eta. When time came to leave her fosterage, then Brendan went to do more formal study with his bishop. He was seven years of age. He first turned to the study of the Psalms and eagerly applied himself to learning them, to pray and sing them, and to meditate and be instructed in their good and holy way. Thereafter, Brendan learned the canon of the scriptures, working many years both day and night. 
He grew in Jesus and in love for others and determined to pursue life in a monastery, which above all other callings or vocations drew him. So he thought it prudent he should read the rules of all the saints of Ireland who had formed communities. He felt the need to learn how they made life together and what disciplines and duties one must heed in serving God and others in this land. In Connaught, Brendan learned the rules of all the Irish monasteries from a man named Yelarthe. Some rules were brief and small, while others were more substantive. He knew them all. He went to Bishop Irk his call and ordination to receive. And through the ceremony, Brendan heard the word of God tell him to give up all, eschew familiar places, and pursue the Lord beyond his native land. He longed to go on peregrinatio and serve the word of God in some new secret country, though he did not know just what that might entail. He waited on the Lord and longed to go wherever God's good purpose might prevail to have him go, whether by foot or sail. In due course, Brendan gathered brethren who became a family together of the Lord. They looked to holy Brendan to direct and nurture them in Jesus' love and in the service of their neighbors. There were fourteen men who stood out far above the others, and these were his counselors. Prayer and reading scripture, serving, doing good, and entertaining guests from here and there, such was their daily occupation. Should a holy man, a prophet, make his way to them, the company of brethren would delight to hear him and to make his stay as pleasant and refreshing as could be. Yet Brendan's longing increased day by day, that he might be sent out by land or sea to serve the Lord in some far secret land. It came to pass one day the company received a holy man, Barinthus, and assembled to give ear to what he might impart to them. He told them of a land far off behind a mist, a land of light and many wonders which his son and he had heard of and which promised great delight to every saint. They journeyed on the sea engulfed in deepest mist until at last they reached the shore of what they knew to be the promised land. Then he began to cast a vision for the company of all the beauty and the mystery that vast and secret land entailed. And oh, the thrall that gripped them as Berinthus walked them through the many pleasures of that place, both small and great. And holy Brendan, listening to the wondrous vision, knew what he must do. Visit our website, www.ilba.org, to discover the wealth of resources available to help you grow in your walk with and work for the Lord. You can review all the previous editions of the Inverse Theology Project by going to the website, clicking the Resources tab, then clicking the Inverse Theology Masthead. In our next installment, we return to the Westminster Confession of Faith as we continue to trace the outlines of systematic theology as presented in that great summary from the Reformed tradition. Until then, for the Fellowship of Ilva and the Inverse Theology Project, this is T.M. Moore.